We are in a series called Seeking Peace. And I think it's really relevant, especially in our world today and some of the news that we've been hearing and even what we just saw today. And last week, uh, we had a guest, Willie Reimer. He did a great job. It was great to have him around with us. And he talked more about personal peace and peace within relationships. And he, he left us with a phrase that I've heard come up in conversation this week uh, with different people from, from Westside. Are you a peacekeeper or are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacekeeper or are you a peacemaker? Are you someone who just wants to keep peace? And sometimes that means avoiding a conversation, avoiding conflict, avoiding resolution or reconciliation as a peacekeeper. A peacemaker is one who makes an effort, uh, is intentional. Uh, sometimes the hard work of, um, of working through something in a relationship. Last week we focused on relationships. This week we want to go, we want to spread out further. And uh, we want to see Jesus' greater vision for peace beyond just the one-on-one horizontal relationship that we have with people, but what that means for our world. Uh, how many of you guys like superheroes? Who likes superheroes? Who's in, there's like every superhero movie coming out so often in the last few years. Uh, X-Men and Captain America, Iron Man and things like that. And TV is getting filled with superheroes. You know, Flash and Supergirl apparently is now out and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all this stuff. Here's one superhero I kind of like. Do you guys know who he is? Who just scream his name out. What's his real name? Okay, see, so there's some people who, who are really into the story. So, what, you know, interesting story to follow this uh, Oliver Queen guy who comes from a wealthy family and uh, kind of superhero story, something messes him up and then he realizes he needs to do good and seek justice and he becomes a vigilante at night, which is called the Arrow. And an interesting thing about the Arrow or Oliver Queen is that he has this desire for justice he has this desire to get the bad guys or to, to bring people to justice, but his means of doing that are, are a little bit violent. And um, if you track the story, uh, at first he had no problem killing people, but something happened uh, in him that he started to realize, maybe, what, maybe I shouldn't be killing people uh, in the name of justice. And so this struggle starts to arise with his character because he's prone to justice. And even in his noble pursuit to bring people to justice, to make people aware of the evil that's going on in their society, he notices that his own methods, his own methods can be equally as evil as the evil he's trying to stop. And it makes him reflect. And it's interesting, I think this is often in these superhero stories from Marvel or DC Comics, where the person who's trying to do good often has to pause and and figure out what's creeping up in my character, what's creeping up in my heart that is leading me towards the means of evil to actually take care of evil. Like, am I actually doing evil while I'm taking care of evil? How that creeps up, this strange pull to fight evil with evil and justifying it because we think we have better motives because we think we have a better cause because we think that what we're doing is right. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever, have you ever justified the wrong thing to do the right thing? Have you ever thought, you know, I can cheat a little bit here because it's accomplishing a really good goal or I can lie in this case because it's going to help a lot of people or it's okay if one person gets hurt because a hundred people are going to feel better. 
And so often, I think that's, that can be called collateral damage. We justify the damage that takes place as we go about doing something in the name of something we believe is good. When Jesus entered the world, he entered the world and came to the people of Israel, and he found his people struggling with a similar dilemma. They longed to pursue a righteous cause, but often they found themselves trying to achieve it in unrighteous ways. They were pursuing a righteous cause to see God's kingdom come, but often pursuing it in unrighteous ways. The context is that Jesus entered time and place and history when his people Israel were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Rome believed in peace. In fact, if you Google uh, Pax Romana, you will, figure, you will see that Pax Romana was what was called the Peace of Rome. And Rome sought to bring peace to different regions by occupying different regions. And by expanding their reach and through military action and through force, they presented this vision for peace, but they often used force to achieve their vision. They wanted to expand peace in other regions, and they would force people to come under their empire in the name of peace, in the name of Pax Romana. So if everyone followed their way and did what they said and had no opposition and paid their tax and were a supporter of the empire, then you would have peace. But if you weren't, then you would have problems and you would have trouble. And this is the life, this is the kind of life that the Jews lived in the first century, the last century BC, first century AD. The Jews longed for God's kingdom of peace to come, but they were getting restless and they were getting frustrated and they were getting opposed on all fronts and they were feeling the violent rub of Rome. And so they thought, well, why don't we achieve this through violent revolt, through violent opposition? And this is the world Jesus entered. It's ironic because he's called the Prince of Peace. And I wrote this line, he's the Prince of Peace in a world that needed peace, to a people that had lost the way of peace. He came as the Prince of Peace in a world that needed peace to a people, Israel, that had lost their way of peace. Now, in no ways do we want to kind of say that Israel was exactly like Rome and what they did. But there was this um, struggle in how they would react. I want want to read uh, with you Luke chapter 19, verse 41 to 44. And it's a moment when uh, later on in Jesus' life, as, he, as he's heading towards the cross, not the birth or incarnation, not the Christmas story, but later on as he is heading towards the cross, he is, he is slowly uh, sharing and talking more about what he is and what he's about and what the Messiah is about. And it's a moment um, just before he enters the temple where he ends up bringing judgment to the temple because he, he basically casts judgment to the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem, and says that what you are doing is not really doing God's work. And he brings judgment on them. But listen to what happens just before. As he approaches Jerusalem, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Father, as we look at this verse and others, Lord, we pray uh, for your wisdom, for your spirit to reveal 
to our own hearts, God, um, the way of peace before us. And God, maybe for some of us, uh, you want to speak in a particular way today, God. I pray we make room for that in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. This is a, a really passionate scene. I mean, Jesus approaches Jerusalem. He's weeping. He's crying. Have you ever approached a city and cried? I remember leaving cities and crying. Um, I, I don't remember approaching cities and crying. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and he's weeping. It's not, a, it's not a cry of weakness, but it's a cry of sorrow. It's a cry of regret. It's a cry of disappointment. Jesus was saddened over Israel's detour. Israel had gone off course, and he was so hoping and longing that they would see the error of their ways and the path that they were taking. They had lost their way, particularly the way of peace, particularly the way to the kind of life that God had in store for them. See, somewhere along the way, Israel started to believe, like many good people do, that using um, aggressive action or violence would get them the peace from Rome. In other words, they, were, they believed that they could defeat Rome's, Rome's agenda through violence, that they would be able to achieve peace for themselves and for their friends and family by actually revolting against the same aggressive oppression that was coming against them. And the Jews actually started to commit to this strategy. It was almost like a militaristic fight against Rome. They believed that if they could get enough people and they could get a leader and their Messiah would come and lead them to this revolt, that they would clobber Rome and then they would find peace. They were hoping for a Messiah that would lead in that strategy. They were hoping for uh, someone who would come to use action, serious action, to achieve peace. Not like little gentle action to achieve peace. Serious action to achieve peace. Because as they looked at Rome, they thought, we're never going to be clear of these guys unless we do something serious. But ironically, Jesus comes with a call to peace. Jesus comes with a message of peace. Jesus is prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures as the prince of peace. It's said that, that as the government are laid on his shoulders, that he would establish peace. Jesus came with a call for peace. N.T. Wright describes this call for peace this way, connected to the gospel. He says, he says, the gospel of God's grace presented another way to reach the Gentile world with love, not war. In other words, when Jesus entered the world, when Jesus preached his message of the kingdom, he was preaching another way to reach the Gentile world, not through war, through love. Not through war, through peace. You know, if you track Israel's history, Israel has um, a history with war. And we read about battles that they have with other nations. But when you track through the scriptures, you can go back to something like Deuteronomy 15, where God actually says, you want a king? I'll give you a king, but I don't want you to be like the other nations. I don't want you to acquire horses. I don't want you to acquire extreme wealth. I don't want you to, to get big and bulky so you feel like you can defeat nations with your own strength. In other words, in some ways, God was saying, I don't want you to be a militaristic nation like the other nations are. That's right out of Deuteronomy 15. And as Israel wrestles with what that means, we see them go through battle. But as you read through the Old Testament, as you get into the prophets, the prophets start calling Israel towards something better than war, to something that would lead to peace. Look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse, um, verse 4 at the top. He will judge, talking about the Messiah, he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. 
They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What does that mean? They will take their weapons, they will take the weapons that they used for war, and they will beat them, they will, they will uh, flatten them out, and they will turn them into gardening tools. That, that that is the life that God has in store for them. That that is the way that God has in store for them. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Nor will they train for war anymore. Just that middle phrase, the swords into plowshares, there's this initiative called the Mozambique Initiative. And Mozambique was a nation filled with violence, filled with civil war. And so to help bring peace... What they, this whole Mozambique initiative was this. They went to the, the, the people in the villages and they said, you give me your rifle and I'll give you a shovel. You give me your machete and I'll give you a pitchfork. Now, maybe that could be used as a tool, as a weapon as well. But, so, so they would, you can be creative, but here's, here was what they did. They said, you give us your weapons, we're going to give you gardening tools. In fact, they convinced the whole village, bring all your weapons your hundreds of weapons, bring them before us and we're going to give you a tractor for your, for your farmland. It didn't make everything perfect, but do you know how much violence went down when weapons were traded in for, for gardening tools? There's something true about this. This next piece of the prophets in Isaiah 9, of the greatness of his government, speaking about the Messiah, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This was the prophetic voice through the story of the scriptures towards this message that Jesus would then bring. As Jesus is born, he comes calling for peace, to a call for peace. I love how Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father, and as John the Baptist and Jesus, they were of the same age, and both their mothers were pregnant together, and uh, they were cousins, in fact, and, and Zechariah was muted by God because he didn't, he didn't believe that God would actually bring forth what he, what he promised. But when John the Baptist was born, he spoke and he prophesied. And he prophesied about what John the Baptist would do and what he would lead to and how he would make the way for the Messiah, Jesus. And I love the end of this. It's just here in this next section. It says, it says this about what is leading to Jesus. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. Isn't that amazing? to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of peace, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This was Jesus' plan. Jesus' calling. Jesus was coming to guide Israel into the path of peace. Now, 30 years later, he approaches Jerusalem and he's weeping over the city. And he's crying over the city. And he's distraught because the city, because his people missed this call. He was going to guide them into the path of peace. They missed this call. And he's weeping because they are still in some way bent on violence. They're still bent on violence. Jesus, after this moment, clears the temple, right? He goes into the temple, if we keep reading in, in Luke 19, and, and he casts judgment to the temple. And some people you know, just say, well, he was mad at the people in the temple because they were selling things. So don't ever sell anything in church because that's what Jesus meant, you know? Jesus was, was casting judgment on the whole system, the whole temple system, and on the fact that they were still not pursuing the way of peace. And what Jesus mentioned, his, 
the judgment that would come actually came. The temple eventually in AD 70 was, was brought down. There was no stone turned over another stone. It came crumbling down. And judgment actually came on that system. But notice what Israel didn't recognize in, in, in Luke 19. They didn't recognize two things. They didn't recognize the way of peace. And they didn't recognize the prince of peace. Right? So Jesus says, how I wish you would have recognized the way of peace. Or in one version I really love, and we're going to focus on it later, the things that make for peace. Jesus says, how I wish you would have recognized the things that make for peace. Then later on in verse 44, he says, you didn't recognize this visitation that came from God. You didn't recognize this visitation that came from God. In other words, God showed up in the flesh through him. And you missed it. You missed it. Two things Israel didn't recognize. They didn't recognize the way of peace. They didn't recognize the prince of peace. We don't see Jesus crying much in the scriptures. He cries for his friend Lazarus. He, he sweats drops of, of blood in, in the Garden of Gethsemane anticipating the cross. But then here, as he sees the city, he's weeping, crying for the city because they've lost their way of peace. I think what he's saying is since you missed the way of peace, what you really missed is that God actually showed up here in the flesh. If you've missed the way of peace, it means you've missed something earlier on in the story. That's what he's telling them. If you've missed the way of peace, then you've missed the prince of peace who showed up is already here. To miss peace is to miss Jesus. To miss peace is to miss Christmas. We can reverse it. We can say to miss Jesus is to miss peace. To miss Christmas is to miss peace. But I think when we say it the other way, it actually holds us accountable. To miss peace means that you miss Jesus along the way. If you are living a life that is not the way of peace, somewhere along the way you missed God's visitation with the Prince of Peace. And it's not just an inner peace. It's not just a peace among friends. It's a peace that transcends society. And I know in some ways... We want to get so personal and practical, and, 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 uh, and I loved Willie's message last week because it really helped us consider what that means among, with each other. But there's something about peace that Jesus brings that transcends society, that transcends just not only our, our, our relationships, but the full breadth of our world. So think about this for a second. What does the message mean for us today? Just pause and think. I mean, we saw that video before. It was horrific. I feel bad. I'm so sorry that I didn't warn some people before we watched it because there were some scenes that were really difficult to watch. But we see that there's conflict in our world. There's unrest in our world. There's lack of peace in our world. When we read this text, you know, we need to be remembering Jesus weeps over our world the same way he weeped over Jerusalem. I think in some ways, Jesus is uttering those words, if you would only, why have you not recognized the things that make for peace? Why have you missed that? Jesus weeps over our world like he weeped over Jerusalem. He weeps over our world because there's conflict in the world today. There's conflict personally, domestically, in our cities, in our nations, between our nations. There's conflict, and Jesus weeps over that because he knows there's another way. He knows there's another way. He weeps because he knows that violence doesn't lead to anything good. In fact, he tells them when he talks about their missing of peace, he specifically tells them in verse 33 and 43 and 44, he specifically says, this will come back to you. You will be crushed under Rome's opposition. It's going to ruin you. Don't go this way. But because you've chosen to go this way, this is what will happen. You're going to get crushed. You're going to pursue violence. You're going to get crushed with violence. 
Because he weeps because the reward of violence is violence. And I wonder, you know, how do we pursue peace? Do we pursue peace to just kind of like make sure if we take out all the obstacles, then we'll be peaceful? If we take out the bad person in the room, then we'll be peaceful? If we take out the bad nation in the world, then we'll be peaceful? It just, can just escalate, right? That we pursue these, these ways of peace or we try to pursue peace. A couple of weeks ago, um, this news story hit that a school president in the States, Christian school um, president declaring himself as a Christian, and he inspired 12,000 of his students to, uh, to all get their concealed weapons license uh, and, and, uh, because they would take care of the Muslims that way. And this was like, and, and here's, and I, 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 I really wrestle with sharing this because, you know, I don't, I don't understand the connection to the Second Amendment in the States like, like some of the Americans do. But it just felt so odd to me to hear a Christian president in ministry preparing people for ministry, uh, whether in the church or, around, or in other vocations around the world, and then encouraging them to say, I want all of you to get your, your guns in place. And we'll even provide a course here for free to do it. I don't pretend to understand all the, the history behind that. But there was something when I read that that I thought, would Jesus offer a course like that? I just wondered, would, is, is this the way that will achieve peace? I'm not, I, I'm not giving you my opinion on if someone should own a gun or not, or if, if, you know, like, there's people here in Quebec, has a lot of people who own hunting guns, and, you know, there's licenses around that. that. The point is not that. The point is the sentiment towards if we would all carry this weapon, then we could take care of those people, and then what's the, what's, what's the purpose, right? Then we're going to achieve peace. Is that the road to peace? Is that the path to peace? This, uh, an author named Preston Sprinkle, who happens to be a gun owner in the States, happens to have um, history with that, wrote a book called Fight and speaks about nonviolence. And he, he wrote this in the beginning of his book. He said, our world is plagued by violence. And then he says, you'd think those of us who follow the Prince of Peace would be the hardest people in the world to convince that violence is necessary. But that hasn't always been the case. Often Christians have been the ones leading the charge to war rather than the ones standing in front of the tanks. I read that, and this guy, as he writes this book, I'd encourage you to read a book like this because he's very honest. He, he, he doesn't just say like, oh, this is my opinion. He actually wrestles with the opinions he's even coming to because he struggles with them, and, and, and he helps just try and figure out what he's working through and understanding what it would mean to pursue peace without violence. But he, he, when he said this or writes this, I thought, that's true. How come... How come it, shouldn't it be that, that those who follow the Prince of Peace would be the ones that advocate for peace the most? Or that wouldn't advocate for violence? And so here are some thoughts, like things that make for peace. And this is kind of part one. Next week is part two, and we're going to get into some positive things. And this week it feels a little bit more uh, somber. But, but things that make for peace. We read it in the NIV, but in, the, in other versions, I love what it says. Jesus says, in this version it says, uh, in the NRSV, I wish you would have recognized the things that make for peace. I think that's, that just says it in a way that helps us see there's a different way, there's, a different, there's different tools, there's different approaches that make for peace. Here's the first one I think that we can consider, and it's not actually a way, it's something we shouldn't be doing, but it's this. Are we aware of our delight in violence? 
Think about that for a second. Are we aware of our delight in violence? If you're honest, who doesn't like breaking things? I mean, do you like to, anybody like to break things? When it's time to demolish a bathroom, who's like, you can fix it, but let me break it? Because I can break it, you know, and that's me. I I can't fix the bathroom, but I can break the bathroom wall very easily. There's something so good about breaking things and smashing them and all that kind of stuff. And so there, I think innate in humans, there's this delight for violence. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, critiquing you shouldn't watch movies with any action or whatever. I'm actually bad at that because I like action movies. But I think there's this prone to violence. When I was in high school... I'm not a big guy. Someone told me today that I'm short. So, um, yeah, I'm like 5'8 and a little bit more maybe. Me and my wife wrestle with what I really am. I think I'm 5'9. She thinks I'm 5'8. So she thinks I have, a, I have a, you know, like an ego complex. But the point is this. When I was in high school, I remember there was this guy that was, was, he was bothersome to me. He would bug me. And, you know, one of those people who kind of bully people or whatever. And, and, and he wasn't, we didn't, it wasn't like we had fights but I remember there was this one time he was just being stupid and he was being silly and he was, you know, just trying to back me up against the wall and I'm not a fighter. And so I guess after time and time and time again, it just bugged me. And so here we, he, he backs me up against the wall and I don't know what came over me. I just, I pushed him back. I just, I pushed him back so hard. What I didn't realize is that on the other wall was those bulletin boards in school with glass. Remember those bulletin boards? So the hallway's only, what, five or six feet or something? So I just pushed him back as hard as I could, and he smashes back against the window. The window breaks. I'm watching this happen. Glass, you know, slices a part of his shoulder. doesn't go so deep. I see blood. I'm freaking out. I said, I can't believe I did that. But if I'm honest with you, there was a little bit of delight in that violent act because I felt like I showed him And part of me believed that in that moment, for a brief second, I believed he's never going to touch me again. You think that's true? (laughs) Because it was one push, and he's still two feet taller than me and bigger. And so, but all that to say, there's something in us that delights in violence. Are we aware of that? Preston Sprinkle shares a story of a Navy SEAL who did serious time in the military. He went to the military not as a believer, not as a Christ follower. And he was a serious Navy SEAL. He killed people. In the, in the military, he became a Christ follower. Something started to change in his heart. He wasn't um, a Christian going into the military. He was a non-Christian going into the military. But then he found Jesus in the military. And he describes the transformation that took place in this man's heart. And, and what he started to choose to avoid violent action. And as an older man sharing with others, he, 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 he bared his soul of the difficulty of what he looked at in his past and how some of the experiences. And I'm not sure you know, what he did then as a believer, but I know the wrestling in his heart. And he came to terms with saying, it's, I, I, I can't come to terms with someone who follows the Prince of Peace intentionally wanting to um, kill someone like that. It was difficult. And it was hearing this Navy SEAL story and And I think it leads us to what we're going to look at next week, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, don't resist the evil person in Matthew 5 verse 38. Part of the verse that we're going to look at next week is where it says in in the original language, don't use violence to resist an evil person. In other words, we always have to resist people. We always have to resist evil or resist something that is is not right or not good. This sense of, are we aware with our delight in violence? 
And then maybe think about this. Have we recognized, just like Jesus says, have we recognized that, that Jesus showed up, that God showed up in the flesh, and that he showed us another way? He showed up in the flesh and showed us another way. The two things Jesus weeped over and said, I wish you would recognize the way of peace. He showed us another way. I wish you would recognize God's visitation. He showed up. And I think those two things, that he showed up and that he showed us another way, are two things we as believers need to wrestle through, pray through, read through. And then recognize as Jesus walked to the cross, he didn't achieve his means through violence. He absorbed violence on the cross. He absorbed the violence of Rome. He absorbed the violence of hatred. He absorbed the violence of sin. He absorbed it on the cross to show us another way. Because Jesus is serious about this. And he, he wept over Jerusalem because he saw Israel and he says, don't you know there's a better way? Don't you know there's a better way? I think we can find this in Psalm 34. And this is the last verse we'll read. And it says this, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I think there's something about that. There's some assumptions in this verse. Turn evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Because I, I think that the second part of the verse cannot be achieved without the first part of the verse. I think there's something about seeking peace and pursuing it that cannot happen unless we turn from evil and do good. There's something that, where this is very, very connected here. Turn evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So to recognize where we fit in this. Because... The last line is so vital. Seek peace. Pursue it. And then to move in this way, just to say, can I trust Jesus for this? Can I trust Jesus for this? And I'll end with a story. A Palestinian Christian whose family owned a farm since 1924. Almost 100 years this family has owned this farmland just outside of Bethlehem. And... Uh, for the last 50 years, they've had to fight to keep their land. They have uh, documents proving that the land is theirs, going way back. In May of 2014, bulldozers from the army came in and destroyed their whole orchard. There's people who would come and protest on that land. And for years and years, this Christian Palestinian family have put their stake in the ground and said, we will resist but we will not violently act out. They're still, they're still fighting. They're still resisting. They're still trying. They still make multiple trips into town and to the courts and to the proper authorities and write letters and all this, but they have determined in their heart, we will not fight back with violence. Are they afraid sometimes? Possibly. Is there times when they feel that they could have been killed through this? Very much so. Do some people look up and look at them and say, are you crazy? Why don't you either, one, give up, or two, fight back? Seriously fight back. And they have this sign on their, on their property. It says, fight violence with love. I can't imagine every day, every week, every year, having that much courage, having that much trust in their Savior, Jesus, with all the obstacles around them to say, we will resist you, but without violence. We will walk the way of peace. We will pursue peace and seek peace, but we will turn from evil and do good to get to peace. 
I, 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 I don't know. Can, can you imagine living that life for 50 years? Can you imagine the family after generations of going through this and they have still made this commitment to pursue the way of peace? I, don't, I think when Jesus passes over that piece of property, he doesn't weep. He rejoices. And he says, you have found the way of peace. You've recognized the visitation from God on this planet and you've recognized the way of peace and you're pursuing it. I think that takes so much trust that God will make a way even when it hurts us. Let's stand and pray. Next week, we're going to continue this message and, um, and look at ways we can actually pursue peace together personally and abroad. Um, and I, I don't pretend to end this message feeling like, oh, this, this is just such a cut and dry thing. Uh, just take this as my opinion or something. No, I'm inviting you to wrestle with this, to pray around this, to seek the scriptures, to take that phrase from Luke 19, things that make for peace, and bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, um, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for how I look at the world? What does it mean for how I view my neighbors? What does it mean for how I view my next conflict? What does it mean when I look at the news? What does it mean when I feel riled up with the crowd? With the crowd that says, no, 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 fight back. Fight back with violence. What does it mean? Let's pray. Father, God, open our eyes. Maybe some of us, including myself, have not fully recognized your visitation in your son, Jesus. If that's the case, Lord, then open our eyes. Lord, may we see your son. Recognize that in the flesh he has come And he came and lived among us, moved into our world. And not only did he show up, but he showed us a better way. God, I know with with the ways that we naturally as humans long to protect ourselves and our families and our city and our nation, this in some ways will will lead us to wrestle with what that looks like in our daily decisions. God, help us first to just fully believe you showed up and you showed us a better way. Help us to recognize where we have gone away from things that make for peace. Help us to reflect that the one we serve, the one whom we call Lord and Savior, is also called the Prince of Peace. And in my life or our life, if there's places where we need to turn from evil and do good in our pursuit of seeking peace, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, um, lead us towards that. God, we pray for the places in our world that are in conflict. Think of my missionary friend in Burundi right now who just this morning I got his email of a rampage through his village. And the military outposts have been shot at. And corrupt police are walking through their village and looting and killing. God, we pray for peace there. We pray for courage for people like him specifically. I know his commitment to peace. I know his commitment to resist evil with good in that village. 
Lord, would you protect them? Would their courage rise up in these moments? For the pastors in that village that fear for their life, would you give them the resilience they need to be who you've called them to be in this moment, to trust you? God, these aren't easy answers. So we ask for your wisdom and your grace as we seek peace. In your name we pray, amen.